we just are so thankful and humbled we be in your presence this morning, Lord. And thank you for all these people that you've called out together to worship you, Lord. And we just we just seek to honor you and to glorify you. And and we, we um, are, are going to remember our brother Richard this morning. Thank you so much for his uh, testimony, his example to us, and for for all that he's shared with us, his lifetime of experience in walking with you and and uh, the things that we've learned from him. And we just thank you so much for him. And and uh, uh, thank you for the blessing that he was to us here as, as a congregation. And we just commit this time to you, Lord, and ask your blessing upon it. Read the official obituary that was sent to, I guess, the various news places. Uh, Katie, is this your writing? Okay. Seriously edited. Well, I, I didn't read the one they did. I'm reading the one you sent them. Yeah, they did some serious editing. They chopped out all the good stuff. <clears throat> Richard James Bannum was born in New Rochelle, New York, September 25th, 1931. He died peacefully on Friday, May 29th, 2020, at his home of 20 years in Hillsborough, Oregon. Richard was born to Charles and Laura Bannum. He was the younger brother to three siblings, <clears throat> Margaret Turner, Charles Bannum, and George Bannum. He's survived by his sons, Stephen, who's married to Johanna Bannum, Daniel, who's married to Elizabeth Bannum, and Joel, Deborah Bannum, and his daughter, Joel, who's married to Deborah Bannum, and his daughter, Catherine, who's married to Zachary Brumbelow. He's very grateful for his legacy of 23 grandchildren and 31 great-grandchildren. Yes, he was grateful for them. He talked about them constantly. <clears throat> Richard lived in New York, Indiana, Ohio, Texas, and Illinois before settling in California in his teen years with his family. He served in the Marine Corps at Camp Pendleton during the Korean War. He later <clears throat> finished high school and attended and graduated from Bible Institute of Los Angeles, frequently called Biola, it's the initials Bible Institute of Los Angeles where he met his wife, Constance Gertner, Constance Gertner, the mother of his three sons. They were married in April 1955. He was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He and his family spent these years training missionaries throughout various locations in Oregon and Washington, finally settling in the Banks and later Forest Grove area. He would take his sons on hikes in various locations through the Coast Range, and he enjoyed listening to music and radio with them, as he had done with his father. He was a police officer for the city of Hillsborough from 1969 to 1988. In February 1974, he married Carolyn Zerker, <coughs> uh, who was born in 1939, died in 1997, the mother of his daughter, Katie, who we have here with us. Upon retirement from the police department, he continued teaching the Bible, telling people he met about Jesus, helping police officers with spiritual support and recruiting and training local pastors for the chaplain's program with the police department. He taught numerous Bible studies and retirement homes throughout Washington County over the past 30 years. He attended church regularly and had been attending and recently helping a helping pastor at True Hope Fellowship. Oh, helping to pastor, I see that was a verb form, sorry. True Hope Christian Fellowship in, New York, in uh, Forest Grove, Oregon. He found great friendship, encouragement, and practical support from this faithful group to the final day of his life. Arrangements for a memorial service will be made later and posted at truehopechristianfellowship.org. Richard's body was interned at Tualatin Plains Presbyterian Church on Friday, June 5th, 
2020. I believe that's the same thing as we call Scotch Church, Old Scotch Church, right? Okay. <clears throat> in lieu of flowers, the family urges charitable donations to be made help, to help support the persons or groups of your choice during this unprecedented time of need in our nation. Okay, that's the official record. Now, here's the lame brain record of a guy that only knew him for 10 years. <clears throat> it's a little disconcerting to me to find out after Richard's departure how little I actually know of him. I worked with him for almost 10 years. I know his birth date, September 21st, 25th, 1931. He was a year younger than my dad. Uh, actually, a year and one month younger than my dad. Uh, and I know the date of his death, May 29th, 2020. When I wrote this, that was yesterday. When I, I, I wrote it on May 30th. <clears throat> and I was thinking through how, how little I knew about the man. I know he became a believer in his late teens. I think 19, but I'm not sure. <clears throat> and still later, I'm not sure when. I wasn't sure until Katie told me. He attended Biola, which is Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And I think he graduated from there in 1957. I believe he told me that. I know he served as a U.S. Marine and later as a Hillsborough police officer and as a chaplain while he was with the police, uh, Hillsborough Police Force. And I know that during one period of his life, he had served as a missionary, teaching unchurched areas of Oregon and Washington and possibly other areas, teaching in homes and leading people to Christ. Uh, he had numerous stories about some of the backwoods experiences of teaching Bible in people's homes who were hungry. And they fed on the word, but man, they were rough. They were real rough. He told me about one Bible study that was being disturbed because the family dog was outside, yap, 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 yap. And finally the um, patriarch of the family stood up and said, just a minute. Walked outside and you hear, blam! No more yap, yap, yap. And he comes back in and says, now, where were we? The guy walked out, shot the dog, and came back in and finished the Bible study. That's rather uh, succinct. Uh, yeah, I say they're, they're rough people. Uh, I think it was that same home. He said he sat down in a chair and suddenly realized the chair was full of urine. Uh, you know, he, he went through a lot as a missionary for Jesus and saw some pretty strange stuff. What about a true, true Hope Christian Fellowship? Because, see, that's where we primarily know him. <clears throat> he served as a Bible study teacher at various care centers across the Portland area, teaching, preaching, evangelizing, serving in whatever capacity he was allowed to serve. But we knew him primarily here, so what about here? <clears throat> Richard first appeared at True Hope Christian Fellowship one Sunday afternoon in July of 2010. Uh, I had no office in the church at that time. There was a deacons and elders meeting going on downstairs. Ann and I were in the car across the street getting ready to go home. And we see this guy come walking up to the church and stepping up the steps. And we thought, both of us said, he needs to talk to somebody. So I got back out of the car, I walked across the street, we introduced each other to one another, <clears throat> and he started asking questions. He wanted to know about the church, he wanted to know the organizational structure of the church, he wanted to know our doctrinal statement. At first he was asking pretty general questions, <clears throat> but it became more and more specific as he worked to ascertain just exactly who he was dealing with. And Richard can ask pretty precise questions. He knows what he's after, and he would say, well, okay, you believe this, but apparently you don't believe this. I said, no, actually, we do believe that. He says, okay, well, you believe that, but I'll bet you don't believe this. And I said, well, actually, yes, we do believe this. And he went on and on like that. Uh, this is quite a long conversation, standing right there in the foyer. 
My formal training had familiarized me with all the theological terminology and phrases he was using as he grilled me on what the church really believed. <clears throat> so I was quite comfortable with answering his questions, and I genuinely enjoyed the visit. He was finally satisfied that we were in agreement about everything that was important to him, so he slowed the pace down a little bit. And at that point, I said, you know, you really need to meet Pat James, the pastor of the church. He's downstairs. Let's go downstairs. So we walked downstairs. I introduced him to the men there, and I went home. And Ann and I both felt like, sure hope he comes back, because we need him. Okay, and we did. <clears throat> that was the beginning of Richard's relationship with the church, and he rapidly settled in to serve. That's what he was about, service. He didn't just sit in a pew and either be an amen Charlie or the guy that comes up and critiques you after the service. He wasn't either one of those. He was here to serve. <clears throat> I'd been teaching both a morning adult Sunday school class and a Wednesday evening Bible study prayer meeting, but my vocational work at Gunderson was becoming more and more demanding, and I asked Richard to take over the Wednesday night meeting. Pat uh, and Jan were living at the coast. Pat James, for those of you who don't remember him, uh, and Jan, his wife, were living over in Halem. And it was becoming more and more difficult for them to travel. So it was getting to a place he wasn't coming for the Wednesday meeting, uh, or at least not all the time. And I asked Richard to take over that. He did that. And I also asked him to come teach with me at Cornell. Uh, I'd been teaching a Bible study at Cornell, Cornell Estates in Hillsborough for about 10 years. And Anytime I was going to be missing, it was a real problem. Marlene took over for me a few times. Uh, there was um, Mark Jeffries, I think, one time maybe. I can't remember. Uh, but once Richard got there, the problem was over because he attended with me, and I would finish teaching through a book, and he would sweep in immediately behind me, and he'd teach through a different book. So we backed each other up. And if one of us had to be gone, the other was right there to, to fill in. Worked very well, very well. He was a good teammate. <clears throat> Richard was ordained as an elder after a few years at True Hope. When Pat and Jan James became sick enough that Pat couldn't always be at church, Richard and I took turns filling the pulpit for a year or so. We were always hoping that Pat would get, get well and be able to come back, but he never did. When Pat finally became too sick to continue serving at all, he asked Richard to take over the shepherding of True Hope Christian Bible, uh, Fellowship. Richard agreed to do so, providing I would serve with him, as he and I were both aware of the biblical mandate that churches always have a multiple leadership, multiple elders leading a, Bible, a, a church. That's the way the Bible, the Bible sets up a church. Uh, if you have a doubt about that, we can sit down and I can show you. But both of us were completely aware of that, and he refused to take over unless I would serve with him. And I, of course, I readily said, sure. So a few weeks later, I was ordained as an elder here also, and Richard and I continued taking turns preaching week in, week out. <clears throat> if one of us had a, a series, a teaching that was going to take more than one week, the other one simply stepped back for a few weeks and let the series be completed. Uh, we had good harmony in our service. Although we did not agree 100% on small points of doctrine sometimes, there was never a rift there because we were both free to study God's Word and to grow in our own understanding of God's Word, and sometimes we disagreed about small stuff. It was small stuff. But, but there was never a rift between us. He was truly a blessing to me and to the church. Richard served in sickness and in health. 
A few years ago, Richard was told he had advanced prostate cancer. By the time he knew about it, it was stage four already. Uh, those of you who know what that means, means it's going to get you. <clears throat> uh, Richard subjected himself to all the treatments. He continued to serve faithfully. Very seldom missed a service. In fact, I, can, I really can't remember him missing hardly any. Uh, though he became increasingly fatigued and weaker month by month. <clears throat> a few times he fell and couldn't get up. But he always insisted on taking care of his own needs, which caused some distress for his family and friends. But it was simply part of his character as one who came to serve, not to be served. He didn't want somebody waiting on him. Richard served faithfully until he was physically unable to go on, and then he was simply called home. He came as close to dying in harness as almost anyone I've ever known. I've known a few who, you know, had a sudden heart attack and were just gone. And that's, that's dying in harness. But uh, he had a few of those, but he was serving right up until it was time to go home. In fact, uh, the week before he died, we, we had our first service back together, Memorial Day weekend. And I called him and asked if he would like to take that service because he hadn't had one in a long time. And he was always anxious to preach. And he thanked me for asking, but he says, I'm really not prepared. Okay. So I did. But neither of us knew that was his last week on earth. And Chuck and I went to visit him on Friday. And that night he died. Okay. He died in his own home, as he had frequently said that he desired to do, with many of his family around him. Not all of them could be there, but many were. He died in peace, <clears throat> without prolonged suffering, which we count a special blessing in answer to prayer. He was simply called home, and he answered that one last call. It was an honor to have served with Richard, and I wish I could have known him earlier in life. I learned a good deal from him in the years I knew him, and I wish I could have continued to do so. Richard was a teacher to everyone around him and a friend to the whole church. He cared deeply about the church and the individuals within it. He became a true pillar in our community of faith, and he was universally respected for his deep knowledge of God's word. Already, in the short time he's been gone, there's been questions I wanted to discuss with Richard. And, of course, immediately realized, nope, he's not here anymore. Okay, He's not here for me anymore. And that grieves me, as I'm sure it does many of you. We're all going to miss him. But it gives us peace to know he's with the Lord today. So what do we do now? <clears throat> if you've got a Bible handy, I'd like you to open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians is right before 2 Thessalonians. Isn't that helpful? It's also right after uh, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn for those of you who haven't memorized the books of Bible in order. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. This is a good passage to remember at times like this. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. <clears throat> For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's a command. Comfort one another with these words. So that's what we're doing right now. Now, how is that a comfort? There's a twin, double-barreled comfort built into that passage we just read. The first one is if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Why is that important? Well, because to an unbeliever, this isn't a comfort at all. If you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior, this is not a comfort. You just lost your friend. That's all. He's gone. Okay. If you're a believer, if you yourself have trusted Christ as your Savior, then there's a real comfort built into this passage. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. It says that, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ was, how Christ was crucified. He died according to the Scriptures died for our sins according to the scriptures, in other words in agreement with the prophecies that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures this is the, the core issue of the gospel, so what he says here when he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what he's saying is if you believe the gospel, if you're saved if this is a reality in your life, then be confident it was a reality in his life too, and you're going to be seeing Jesus again, so that gospel, that, that core message of the gospel is repeated over and over throughout the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. Wherever Paul went, he went to the synagogues first, offered them the gospel. Some people believed, some didn't. And once they started to resist, he turned to the Gentiles. Over and over, he says that's, that was his pattern in, in ministry. He, went to the, he offered it to the Jews first. They had first, first choice, but most of the time they rejected it. But he says that it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the only power of God unto salvation. God has never saved anybody in the history of the world apart from the gospel. Now, in Abraham's time, for instance, it was a lot more simple. It was, he didn't know all the details that we do, but it says Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6, if you want to look it up. So this passage in Romans 1, 16, when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. That's what gospel means, by the way, is good news. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what we're seeing here in 1 Thessalonians, when he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he's saying, if you believe the gospel. <clears throat> okay, what kind of confidence does that give us? <clears throat> well, one, is you're going to see Richard again. Two, is you can't miss the rapture. You got all these worries about people being left behind. If you believe the gospel, you're not going to be left behind. I don't care if you're awake, asleep, committing a sin right that minute, uh, being arrested for whatever. It doesn't matter. If you're, if you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, when Jesus takes the church, you're going with him. Even if you're on feet first, hanging on to something you didn't want to leave behind, you're still going. Okay? You can't miss it. What else? Well, another passage that was a great confidence to Richard was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. It says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. You can either look it up or not. By the way, this text is, is on the church website. If you want to look it up and get all the passages, they're, they're there in print. Uh, 
If you didn't get the message already, Chuck now has a new way of recording these messages, and they're going online as a recording. I don't like hearing my voice on recordings, but I got to say they are very clear. He, he does a good job. So if you go to either the website or the Facebook, on Facebook, the blue button that says learn more, if you click on that, it goes right to, what do you call that thing? Podcast. Uh, if you go to the website, right under where it says welcome to True Hope Christian Fellowship, there's a, a deal you can click there and hear the same thing. You can get a you can listen to these messages, but the printed notes that I'm reading right now are on the website every week. <clears throat> so 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. See, Richard was confident of that, too, that he, if he was to be absent from the body, that that moment he would be present with the Lord. There is no middle ground. Richard's spirit, his soul, did not go into some kind of limbo. It didn't go into some kind of a uh, spiritual waiting room like purgatory or something like that. It didn't go into some kind of suspended animation. They call it soul sleep in some religions. That's, that's not true. The Bible says if you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. So the instant he left his body from his home there in Hillsborough, he was immediately with the Lord. Those who received Lord, the Lord as their Savior by believing that his death and burial and resurrection are full payment for their sins personally. If you've trusted that Jesus' death and burial and resurrection is full payment for your sins personally, then you personally are going to step personally into the presence of God the moment you leave your body. Okay? If you're not here for the rapture, you're going to be with him first, just as Richard is. What's the other thing? Well, the other one is the second clause in that passage. It says, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus. Okay, the key, verse, the key words there is in Jesus. Why? Because that's a position clause. It's a position clause. We talk about that a lot in this church, the difference between position and condition. Lot was in bad condition when God took him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But his position was perfect. He was in Christ. How do I know? Because God says so. Second Peter chapter 2. You can read it. That, that, I was thunderstruck to read that the first time. I thought, really? Lot? I mean, my goodness, there's nothing about him in the Old Testament that would make me think he was a righteous man. But God says, yeah, he was. Why? Because he had believed God, same as his uncle Abraham. Okay. It's important to recognize that our confidence is in God's word and in his goodness and his faithfulness his righteousness, not our righteousness, not the righteousness of Richard Bannum. Okay? There may be some who knew Richard a long time ago that are holding a grudge against him for some thing, whatever, and they may still think, well, he wasn't anything special. Well, let me tell you, Richard would be the first one to agree with him. He didn't count himself as something special. He counted it an incredible privilege, an unspeakable privilege that he got to serve the holy God of heaven at all. He rested in the righteousness of Christ. He didn't consider himself to have earned merit. He just had the privilege of serving God in whatever capacity he was allowed. His standing, his position, his standing with the holy God he served had nothing to do with his own worthiness, condition, but entirely to do with the worthiness of Jesus himself, which, of course, was perfect. God only saw Richard in Christ. 
If you're a believer, God only sees you in Christ. He doesn't, he's not concerned with your old sin nature. He knows it can't be fixed. You have problem, problems with that idea, look it up. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says that the old man, the, the carnal man, cannot be in subject, subject to the law of God. It says it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. Even God can't fix your old sin nature. Don't worry about it. Learn to walk with God and allow your, whole, your, your new nature, which, which is holy and righteous, learn, allow your holy nature to walk with God. That's the way God sees you. See, that phrase, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, addresses our, our position, not our condition. Richard never stood before God in his own righteousness, but right, rather in the righteousness of Christ alone, and that's his eternal position before God. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, the Scripture says you are also permanently in Christ. Your confidence in him because of your position in him should move you to find great freedom in living for him. Richard was dedicated to doing just that. Probably there are some of you who would like to share how Richard has affected your life, how he stirred you to grow in the Lord or in some other way influenced you. Now last week our sister Kristen Flemmer shared her thoughts because she knew she would be unable to be here today. If you'd like to speak, please don't be shy. If there's a blessing to you, we'd all like to share in that blessing. That's how it becomes a blessing to all hear it. We're going to open it up for anybody and everybody to share how Richard affected you. If you want, if you're willing, we would please ask you to. I mentioned to one person if she was worried about not being able to speak publicly because she was going to cry, then write it down and I'd cry for her. I cry in public all the time. I'm getting used to it. Okay. If there's anybody else in that boat and has something written down, I'll be happy to read it for you. Does anybody like to share? Please. My daughter's right there. I remember that picture. Um, I thought I should share some stuff. Didn't think it was going to be this hard, though, because I didn't prepare anything. But um, Chet laid out our position with Christ, and that's absolutely true with Richard. Um, I enjoyed coming here and learning from two pillars, huge pillars, Richard and Chet. And uh, it was such an encouragement. And yes, I can go to them and ask for support and guidance. And uh, I remember one time I was helping out at Cornell Estate, filling in. And we're talking about salvation. And I asked the question, when is it too late? You remember this? And there was an old guy in the backside. He goes, when you die. And um, I said, well, that's partly true. It's too late yesterday. Salvation is, if you got it, and you're going to wait on it, and you're going to bank on time, it's too late. And sometimes I took Richard's time for granted. 
I thought he would be there tomorrow or the next day. I rested on time. If your position is not right, make it right today. That makes sense. We know where he is. Um, a little lighter note about Richard. He has some pretty good stories. And uh, we like to talk about stories. He even has evidence of stories. If you look at his little red car, there's a bullet hole in it. So he can trump a story pretty good. And one of the stories that I remember that makes me laugh is how when he was a police officer, he pulled over a lady speeding or something like that and got out of his car and uh, either didn't put it in park, either put it in reverse or drive, and he got out and the car is spinning on, around in circles <laughs> on TV highway. And um, he just laughed about it. And all I can think about is how can this old guy try to catch this car? Obviously that was in his younger years and stuff, but he always had stories, good stories. He, uh, we like to share time with him. Kristen did share about us going out to dinner, uh, Gustav's and stuff like that. And I remember we took him out and he had his little Lexus car. And again, he likes to trump stories. So we'd sit in that car and he would say, check this out. And I go, well, our car can do this. And he goes, well, mine can do this and do this one a little bit more than that. And, and he had that, he just had to trump that story, but it was always in such light humor. And uh, after the dinner, when we left, both my wife and I were just in such good spirits. So thankful to be with him. And what a blessing he was. What a help he was. Countless times when I'm trying to understand the word he had the answers Marlene will help remember during the Bible studies down on Wednesday or uh, Wednesdays Chet got I mean Chuck got to uh, be taught by him too and his guidance I'm so thankful that Richard was in our life and I'm going to miss him. I, um, I would just miss him. The last time he sat in that spot right behind uh, Randy there during Sunday Bible study, he was, he was kind of older and quiet, but then a spark happened. And when that spark happens, you know his mind is spinning. And he had a good mind all the way to the end, at least with scripture. It was just wonderful. I would like to share something, though. And I found this in, in, in Luke. And it's Luke 16, 19 through, uh, I don't know. I'll just read a little bit. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in a luxury it lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, 
covered with sores and longed to eat with eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In the next word, it says, in hell. I wasn't there during his last day. And I don't imagine one angel coming down to gather Richard. I imagine angels, multiple, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And uh, I am so thankful that Richard is up there in heaven with our Lord. I'm thankful that I have that comfort and that peace that I know where he is. And I'm thankful for what Richard taught us and the strength that we can have and the peace that we can have as we are this same similar saint supporting one another as he supported us. Thank you. We collapsed during communion one day. Rod was the one pumping his chest. The EMT fellows got here and said they're taken to the hospital. He said, I don't want to go to the hospital. I want to go to dinner. Sorry, Richard. We're going to go ahead and have one more song, I think, and then close in prayer together. <laughs> 